Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Tennis and Bagels podcast. Uh, my name is Andre and I'm here with uh, another special guest, a, a friend of mine from the, ten- the time I was at Tennis Canada. Uh, it's the co-host of Matchpoint Canada, writer and journalist for Sportsnet, Ben Lewis. Hey Ben, how are you? I'm great, Andre. How are you doing? I'm, I'm all right. Yeah, just, you know, kind of excited a little bit for the off season. Uh, at the same time, <laughs> just a little sad because every time tennis ends that there's always some days I'm like, well, I wish there was something happening, <laughs> but it's not the end. Still, there's to the next gen, but uh, we are going to be, you know, just reviewing a bit of the last weeks of the happenings of the Davis Cup. And just since you're at uh, Matchpoint Canada, it's your area of expertise is all the Canadians as well. Uh, so we're going to be, you know, seeing like how they performed. Uh, it wasn't our most uh, special Davis Cup run, but at the same time, we had some positives to it uh and yeah uh, i feel like especially uh miller's round niche uh come back to the davis cup team was extremely encouraging um if we did have a, a full team with at least one of uh felix or dennis playing that day i think we would have made fast finland for sure uh a uh, bit of a shame for diallo he's he definitely got game it was not his day that that time but uh yeah um what, what do you think of uh kind of this performance and um yeah yeah, I, I mean, certainly, uh, I think it'll be viewed a, as a bit of a disappointment, especially given that I think expectations were, of course, higher just based on last year. You win the title last year for the first time in your country's history, and it really does feel these days like Canada is a tennis nation and, and one of the tennis powerhouses, not the tennis powerhouse by, by any stretch of the imagination, but probably if you're kind of running down the list of top tennis countries, I feel like Canada could be in the conversation as top five given our our athletes and our success over the recent years so given the win last year you're going in and certainly I think on paper they were favorites in that quarterfinal matchup against Finland but uh, I think immediately we once we noticed Felix Ocelli seem dealing with a lower body injury is unavailable that that complicated things right off the bat um, despite this Canada had a great start Milos Raonic getting his first match win in Davis Cup since 2018 was a fantastic storyline. I, I hope it, I almost wish you would get a couple more headlines than it would have if Canada had advanced past this tie into the semis, but it's it's a big deal to have a veteran who's been to a Wimbledon final and been one of Canada's trailblazers in a sense for this sport and its success back on the international stage and winning, but I mean, Gabriel Diallo in that second match, that to me was kind of the coin flip match. He's against Otto Vertinen of Finland, and they have somewhat similar games, big servers, kind of the big serve plus one style, and 
Burton and was just a little sharper. And I, I felt like in the deciding doubles rubber, uh, I mean, Vashik Pospisil just didn't look particularly healthy. And he probably needed to be the best doubles player on the court. And he wasn't. And I know he's been dealing with stuff with his shoulder and arm and back. Didn't seem to have the same pop on his serve as usual. We saw him getting some treatment at one point at the tail end of the first set. So it's unfortunate that he wasn't in the best possible shape. And I, I think that's kind of what happened overall in this tie. That Felix Ojealiasim was unavailable to go due to a lower body injury. And Bashik Pospisil, your anchor in doubles, was not his healthiest. And for that reason, uh, Canada left going home in the quarterfinals. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's a bit unfortunate they, the stars weren't, were aligned for Phelan in that day, honestly, for, for them to go through um, uh, with the Felix announcement. I did. I totally agree. Mm -hmm. I think Diallo's match um, was definitely the, the coin toss. I don't think that um, he played... Um, I don't think he, he was able to produce some of his best tennis from September. I think he played one of these matches. He would have easily, not easily, but he would have most likely won that match uh, in Finland and it would have been, he'd have been a great time. Um, Felix was going to probably play one of the matches if Canada had advanced a bit further. Uh, so yeah, I don't, I don't think that really tells exactly like the full story that like how Canada has fallen so much. Like it's obviously a disappointment as you said, but um, all things considered, I think it was just an unlucky um, week for, for Canada to be playing the Davis Cup at that time. But um, with the team, if, if Milos decides that he wants to keep playing uh, for the full of next year and goes on like to the Davis Cup, if we actually make it, uh, which I think we do have still a pretty good chance of making back to the finals. Uh, if uh, if that happens again, I think if, uh, if, we, if we get like a both um, Fashik, Felix, Dennis and, and Milos all healthy in the same team, I think it could be extremely dangerous for, for next year. Um, yeah, but um, fortunately, that's not what happened. But we ended up having having um, uh, Italy go on and, and win its first Davis Cup title since 1976, the first final since 1998. Uh, and honestly, everybody played well. Sonego did an extremely good part in the doubles. Matteo Rinaldi was a bit of a story, like in terms of how it was his first time playing for Italy uh, in uh, in the competition history. Uh, won a very significant match against Popierin in the in the final. Exactly. But the the story is definitely Yannick Sinner. There's no there's no going around it. Um, Yannick Sinner coming back no. from a monstrous fall, uh, almost like a bit like Felix did did last year with a bit less titles, but um, ATP Finals final. First and second win against Novak Djokovic now uh, in just two weeks, uh, three matches. Um, so yeah, what are you? What are your thoughts on on that one? Yeah, I, I mean, without question, I think Yannick Sinner is really the story of the tournament, right? For Davis Cup, he was undoubtedly the best player uh, from all nations, from all players through this event. He's fantastic. I, I think you know he's already an elite player at this age and particularly on an indoor hard court that seems to be where he really really shines he just has so much firepower from the back of the court he's so balanced on both his forehand and backhand wing and uh as alex dimenauer said in that finals clinching match which sitter beat dimenauer 6-3-6 love and dimenauer is a heck of a competitor and a very good player so to produce a score line like that is is pretty telling of his quality of tennis and dimenauer afterwards says Sitter is hitting the absolute crap out of the ball. And I, I mean, that's accurate. And that's sort of what he had to do against Novak Djokovic. If we look back into that semifinals against Serbia, because 
the Serbians were in a really fantastic position to make that final, uh, getting the first opening singles win. And then you're lining up the world number one, Novak Djokovic, who uh, is just coming off that ATP finals victory, has to be the most confident tennis player in the world, is the best tennis player in the world. And, you know, he had three match points against Yannick Sinner, three points to clinch a spot in the finals for Serbia at, at 4-5 love 40 in the third set of their match. And for Yannick to not flinch in that scenario, to to trust his weapons, to trust his game, to have that self-belief to play brave tennis, come up with a couple big serves and get out of that jam and, and come through in that match was just uh, incredible fortitude. And it, you have to think it serves him really well leading into 2024, where, I, I mean, of course, the conversation around Sinner now is like, the next step is winning a Grand Slam title. And I, I think a lot of people are discussing, is he a guy who can win a slam in 2024? Absolutely, he can. I mean, will he? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure. I, I'm not going to proclaim that he definitely will. But he, of course, has absolutely all the tools to do so. And what a massive moment recovering from, you know, a tough ATP finals loss to Novak to, to lead Italy to its first Davis Cup win in 47 years. That's a pretty incredible end to your season. Yeah, and I think it was a it was a really great way to, for him to season. I think it was a um, just everything just kind of kind of fell through like well for him in that regards. Like even if he didn't win the the ATP finals, he got like some great experience. Um, one playing in front of his crowd, uh, getting a huge feeling of like what would probably be a Davis Cup at home uh, if the format was still the old one or if they had to qualify. Um, and uh, beating Djokovic for the first time ever, uh, it was. Well, probably the match of the year, or if at least top five, if not top three, um, and uh, coming to you know play that match against uh, against him again, I think that's the experience of just the previous two matches. I think were crucial for him to come through with that one. I was so surprised with how well he, he was serving. The serve failed him a little bit just to fall fall down like those three match points, but mm-hmm. um, and you, he wasn't endangered the entire set uh, on serve until he actually ended up serving for it. Um, but yeah, I feel like Yannick Sinner's adjustments this year were just in- incredible. I think uh, the, the the things that he pulled off, like with just the serve, like I remember like last year, I was watching him serve and thinking, he's got, he's got some good speed, he's got some good placement, but very often he would just like miss wildly. Like it's it's not a first serve that you want to miss that, that badly all the time. Um, and I think it just, made the adjustments the proper adjustments that he needed to um and he showed and showing the in this kind of his confidence um when he stepped in against uh Demenor, i think there was almost no doubt in his mind almost like when he did like in, in toronto like when he stepped on the court there was almost no doubt in anyone's yeah. mind that he should be the winner uh yeah. maybe some nerves in the beginning and uh, he just found his rhythm his groove and just there was no stopping him um and Demenor just had no weapons to hurt him unfortunately for for australia second year in a row uh, where he he lost uh, comprehensively basically last year against Felix uh, and this year against uh, Yannick Sinner. Um, but one of the things that I found like Sinner had um, not certainly improved that much, but I think he just showed up in his game that I didn't expect to see as much uh, because he's such a bar baseline player is how well he's, he volleys. Like he's just competent at the net. Like his his volley technique is is great. His approach shots like seem to be very just like um, rational. He doesn't just rush the net. Um, I think it's going to be very interesting if we can utilize all these tools, especially against like the challenge Djokovic, Alcaraz, and the slams. Yeah, uh, no, that's 
That's a good point. Um, which it, it's definitely overlooked at it. I never really hear anybody discussing Yannick Sinner's volleys because we look at what he can do from the back of the court, his baseline game, his power, his defense and agility, the way he can defend both wings, sliding skills, which we know come from uh, his earlier days as, as being a fantastic skier uh, and uh, so much flexibility. But you're right. He has good hands to the net. And I, I think that's such a, a difference maker. You look at how big of a difference maker it is for a player like Carlos Alcaraz that he can close the net in a heartbeat. I, I mean, Sinner is not as strong at net as Alcaraz is. He's not coming forward as much. But to have that in your toolbox um, is so important, especially when you're playing a guy like Novak. Like, you need a myriad of ways to win points. You need a myriad of ways if you want to you know, hit your way through Novak Djokovic. You can't just be great from the baseline. You can't just have the big serve. Like you have to do a lot of things very, very well, which uh, Yannick proved he could, he could do. Uh, the stat I love is he's the only, only the third player to beat Djokovic twice in the span of 12 days, um, joining, you know, Rafael Nadal and Andy Murray. That's a pretty, pretty strong camp right there. So, uh, I mean, some of it, I'm sure, is a little bit surface-based where like his game is elevated a little bit more on the indoor courts. He talked about how comfortable he is indoors. So, I mean, I look at his season. It's an outstanding season. And then the the only knock on it is looking at the Grand Slam results where he went round of 16 Australian Open, second round of the French Open, which is a big letdown, semifinals at Wimbledon, which is a good result with without a doubt, but he didn't really offer much resistance in that semifinal, if I recall, and round of 16 at the U.S. Open, where he kind of physically wilted in a fifth set to Sasha Zverev. So that's sort of the next question he has to answer is he built for best of five over a two-week period of time. And I, I know in the summer... After that U.S. Open loss, he said his biggest focus was improving physically. Uh, I don't know if that necessarily means we're going to see him stronger and add some weight. I'm not necessarily sure. Or physical training in terms of conditioning, endur endurance, getting those areas of his game better. Because, uh, as you said, he served really well. He has volleys. There's a lot to the game itself that's, you know, elite level and capable of, of beating absolutely anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's been a bit of a question uh, before because it he, he was the first time he's ever reached the Grand Slam semifinal, and it was a lot of questioning about like whether he was able to, you know, uh, translate all that success to to best of five, as you said. Like it's it's definitely going to be the question. Um, and to be fair, I really do hope that he can do it because this game is so exciting to watch. Uh, I think the Grand Slam just um, lose a lot in terms of uh, now the top four, one of the top four players in the world. Um, it's like baking, making a little bit like um, I ain't making all these comparisons all the time. We make them like with the big four and Andy Murray, but like now I feel like we've got a pretty solid top four in the world. Um, we got Medvedev, Djokovic, obviously, and now Karaz, um, and now with Yannick Sinner, they're all playing very well, very confidently. Um, and I think it's it's got really good potential for for great matches if they can go through a in the the final stages of slams and play each other. I think it's it's going to be. Uh, very interesting, very exciting, especially if Yannick Sinner is able to make more semifinals and, and offer that resistance that he hasn't really been able to to do much of. Um, except maybe last year when he did uh, push Djokovic to like five sets, I think was in the Wimbledon in the quarterfinals. Yep, yep. 
you know, and crumbled a bit in the last three sets, but yeah. Right. No, well, that's great. And I, I think it really makes for a pretty fascinating Australian Open because last you, you look at this past year's Australian Open and really felt like Novak Djokovic didn't have a challenger. I, I mean, the way he just coasts, and I know he he's always going to be the favorite going into the Australian Open, hands down. I mean, he's won it 10 times. He's so confident there. He loves the surface. He's the best hardcore player of all time, without a doubt. I mean, he's the best player of all time. Uh, so uh, all things are sort of stars aligning for Djokovic to always have excess in Australia. But this past season, it almost felt a little too easy for him in, in terms of who was in front and who was there to properly challenge. Nadal's body sort of breaking down and going out early. Uh, Carlos Alcaraz not being available to play. Yannick Sinner's game was nowhere near where it is right now. Uh, and you just didn't have the, the Holger Rune and probably not fully developed. Some sort of names kind of crashing out early that you didn't have someone truly properly challenging Djokovic towards the top and towards the latter stages of the tournament. And I even Medvedev, I believe, went out to Sebastian Corda. So a lot of strange things happened at uh, this, this season's Australian Open, which made it almost a very easy title for Djokovic. I think that's going to change a lot in 2024. Djokovic is still going to be the favorite without a doubt. But Yannick Sinner is obviously very much knocking on the door. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is going to play. He didn't last year. Um, I, I think Medvedev is a lot sharper now. Uh, I think he was sort of mentally not in a strong place earlier in this season, and he's there. So your top four, as you said, is is really, really strong. And there, it feels like there's a gap between those four players and, and the rest of the tour right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think especially, as you say, like Djokovic is, has hands down the favorite. I think it's always not the, the smartest decision to always like bet against him so, so much. But I think the doubt is there. I think it's... If Djokovic will be thinking about it as well, especially after losing twice to to Yannick Sinner, um, the pressure of uh, Davis Cup kind of probably have gone has gone to him a bit. I could see he was not as sharp as like fatigue was probably creeping in a bit, but he's still playing some fantastic tennis, especially um, more more towards like uh, second and third set. Um, and he is definitely definitely cares about the Davis Cup. I feel like the narrative that yep. saying that Djokovic doesn't care and he was a loss that he can just like shrug it off. Like I don't think it's true. I think he really wanted it. Otherwise, he wouldn't have gotten to th- triple match point in that match. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he definitely wanted to do this for Serbia. He always wants to do this for Serbia. Uh, he loves this country so much. I think it, it almost weighs on him. <laughs> um, but 
yeah, he's definitely looking at these guys now and thinking, well, I, I got to put the, the prep on for the Australian Open because I'm not, I don't want anyone to challenge me anymore on this one. So like I, he, he definitely wants to be still the, the guy to beat. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah, I think, I think he knows he has to be at his 100% level. He has to be peaking uh, for the Australian Open if he wishes to win it again. And as yeah, this past season, he won it with an injury. I don't think that's going to be possible for next year, uh, where I know he was dealing with uh, a tear in the hamstring, which he just sort of managed uh, between matches, had it heavily taped up, and and still got through seven matches. I, I think the bigger question for the younger guys, uh, I, I know Alcaraz did it at Wimbledon, obviously, in that epic final, uh, is can you beat Novak in a best-of-five match? Uh, best-of-five is just a different animal, and he's without it at the best of the world in, in the best-of-five format we've seen guys get wins and best of three best of five is is the different challenge now yeah for sure it's uh it's where Djokovic has excelled like where he he Nadal and Federer specifically have uh developed their games to always be able to basically peek in the slams and do their best there and that's that's why they dominated that's why they're, they're the biggest champions the world has ever seen on that stage specifically in the Grand Slam but also everywhere else um but the Grand Slams have been far and wide dominated even if the guys have been able to uh, breakthrough into in the 1000s and uh, the other tournaments like um, like a Halle where Federer always used to play uh, Barcelona um, but yeah it's the Grand Slams where it's at now like everybody has to you know focus as best as they can to go into the best of five and challenge the best of the best over seven matches which is seven matches in two weeks is a huge challenge yeah. for everyone so yeah mm-hmm. and um, I guess now that we're we're talking a little bit more of like in the general and like just the 2024 perspective uh we have i know that this year wasn't the best year for for canadian players in general felix was struggling a lot so much with uh with an injury and so was dennis uh mila's return uh but he obviously is a return from like so long without playing yeah uh, we we couldn't expect more than what i actually did uh the the wins that he's got were fantastic um and uh i think he's in a pretty good shape right now we're we we need to see like what what goes on like in the in the future. But what do you what do you think it's a is is up for for Canadians in twenty twenty four? Yeah, I I do think it's going to be. Uh, I mean, I'm hopeful and optimistic that it's going to be a big bounce back year. Um, especially, I mean, if we yeah, speaking on the men's side, for Felix Ojeda, you seem to to drop down to world number twenty nine, which is where he's sitting right now. Uh, thankfully will keep a seed going to the Australian Open, which is massive, honestly, because he was at risk of really plummeting outside of a seed if he had not backed up and defended his title in Basel. So, you know, as as porous and disappointing a season it was for Felix, particularly midway and all the way through the summer, I mean, he had a stretch where he lost 12 of 15 matches, just didn't look right, looked like he lacked confidence, he wasn't serving nearly as well as 2022, managing a lower body injury he was sick when he played the french open and like bowed out really meekly to Fanini in a straight sets match i remember his u.s open match against Mackenzie mcdonald which keep in mind that's a tough first round draw but he was i think one of 14 in breakpoint opportunities in that match like just not executing and winning points when it matters most uh, i feel like he regained his confidence with that win indoors in basel and the swiss indoors which he's now won twice huge to at least get a title to kind of close out your season and i think he can really reset now and and get some good sort of preseason training uh 
I really liked that he tweeted, I'm back after he won that Swiss Swiss event. That that told me he was like, okay, he he believes again. He he feels like it's it's coming. He he felt like he'd been practicing well. Uh, I know he was almost shell shocked when he lost in Toronto at the National Bank Open opening round to Max Purcell. Um he, he thought it was probably a good draw for him to to gain some momentum and get things going. So uh, I think, you know, he's reinstilled the belief in his game. He's serving better that uh, he can kind of fully reset now over the next month or so and be prepared to to really come out strong in 2024. Without a doubt, he should be back in the top 20. That's, you know, no question he's the top 20 player. Can he knock his way back into the top 10? Uh, his work ethic, everybody says, is fantastic. He's always working on all these elements of his game that he needs to improve. He can beat top 10 players. Um, we, we've seen it time and time again against the toughest players on the tour. He, he seems to perform pretty well against your Holger Runes and Tsitsipas and Rublevs. He has wins over all these guys. He has a win over Alcaraz. He has a win over Djokovic. He has a win, had a win over Federer when Federer was on tour. So he can challenge the very best in the game. Um, I, I think 2024, he really rebounds. If we talk about Milos Radic, as you said, I mean, I think he exceeded expectations, honestly, in his return, given a lot of people thought he was probably going to retire and hang it up and, and never play again. For him to get a win at Wimbledon, for him to beat Francis Tiafo at the National Bank Open, to get a Davis Cup victory for the first time in five years, uh, that's that's a great story. And, and now the question is, how long does he want to continue? And can he stay healthy and sort of be very selective with his calendar about which tournaments he wants to play, really managing his body and his time so little things don't break down? And I, I've always said with his his service weapon, I, I mean, to have something that dangerous in your back pocket, he can beat so, so many players. And a healthy Milos Raonic in his prime was always a top 10 player. We're not going to see that again, rankings-wise. I, I think a lot of people can understand that. But he, for me, at this stage of his career, can be the kind of guy that it's the last player you want to draw in a first round as like a seeded player that you got to face Milos Raonic in the first round of Australia or something like that. I, I think he can be that kind of dangerous threat lurking, lurking in a draw. And if he's healthy, that booming serve going, he can sneak some big upset wins and and have a have a good season if he stays healthy. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I totally agree with with all you said in, in that. I think uh, I think Milos for me, like one of the things that I would, you know, like I guess like just wishful thinking in that regard. But it would be nice to see him like maybe getting another title. Um, just sure. me thinking right now about Newport. Um, it's gonna be the last time Newport is going to be on on tour. Uh, it's normally a weaker draw. Uh, people are coming off of uh, Wimbledon. Um, I think it would be a really good place for for Milos if he wanted to if he if he decides to play there. I don't know what his schedule is like, but if he, I feel like it could be a really good opportunity if he decides to play over there. It's like coming back to North America, playing on yeah. the grass, like just right right before Montreal. I think it's going to be. I think it could be an interesting addition to his calendar if he decides he wants to go there. Um, yeah, as we know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a good choice. I was just looking. I mean, as you say, like can Milos win another title? It's crazy to me that he hasn't won a title since 2016. I'm just looking. He hasn't won a title since winning in Brisbane in 2016. It's almost like some of his results, like he should have, I feel like, a number of more titles. It's surprising that he's never won a Masters 1000. He's been close in the past. I know he's lost a, a few finals there. 
you know, he made the finals of the ATP World uh, World Tour in 2016, losing to Milos. He has, you know, beyond the Wimbledon final, how many times did he go quarterfinals or better at the Australian Open? Um, five times, uh, semifinals of Wimbledon in 2014. So he's made so many deep runs in tournaments that it's almost surprising that he hasn't racked up a few more titles in, in his career, frankly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's a... It's definitely one of the byproducts of being born in that generation where you had to catch sure. uh, all of the Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic, and Murray in the surprising 2016 season. It's just yep. so many players got unlucky with that. And I think Miller also ran um, into his uh, Masters 1000 finals. I think all of them he lost to, well, he lost one, I think, to Nadal and other yep. two to Novak Djokovic. So it, it just goes to show just how dominant these guys are. And uh, if if Miller's was 22 now, I think he would have won like a couple of Masters 1000s and maybe even a Grand Slam over the next couple next decade because that's that's where he came uh, was at like in terms of like how how intelligent he played he he wasn't the player with all the weapons but the weapons that he used he used them so so well and he would excel in them so well that like as you said like the serve um, it's it, it's just yeah it's a it would be really awesome to see him lifting a, a trophy. Um, another one before he decides to call it a career. Um, 100%. Yeah. And for Felix, definitely, like, the, the guy's young. Um, it's 22 only, so he, the sky's the limit still. Like, maybe mm-hmm. he had a bit of a fallback from a super 2022 season, maybe some emotional, physical fatigue. As you said, like, he was also dealing some with some injuries. Um, yeah, I'm just really hoping that he can uh, up his game, get back into the top 20, get some confidence, uh, maybe win another title or two. Uh, and then see if we can like break back into the top ten, um, another big run in a Grand Slam. He's definitely going to be right up there. So I don't, I don't have any doubt that Felix has the level still, um, and I think he has the belief. Um, it's just needs things to work together, I guess. So yeah, yeah. I didn't mean to overlook Denis Shapovalov, by the way. I just realized I, I didn't even uh, give a sort of a, a diagnosis on his game and maybe what to expect for twenty twenty four. Obviously. 2023 not a success for for Dennis and but at the same time I mean he's been he's been absent since Wimbledon uh he hasn't played since the grass court season which is is kind of crazy to think and unfortunately his ranking taking a big 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 hit as a result of that I mean he's dropped outside the top 100 uh there were a couple positives I I think on this season for for Dennis particularly the way he played at Wimbledon I thought was sort of the the best that we saw him and he made the round of 16 it's just really unfortunate that a knee injury sort of surfaced in that round of 16 match to Roman Safalin because it looked like a really nice opportunity to at least make a quarter and there was maybe even a path there to make the semifinals if he were healthy and I thought he played pretty well kind of at the front end of the season down in Australia I know he lost to Novak in in Adelaide and then he had that like great five set battle with Hubert Hercatch. Uh, I think in the third round of Australia, that was kind of a coin flip match. That sort of tells me like a healthy Dennis. Like I kind of think that's what his level is. Something similar to a Hubert Hercatch, where you're a very solid sort of top ten to fifteen player. It's just the difference is you know a Hercatch and other guys like uh, Dimenauer, for example, they're doing it on a consistent week-to-week basis. Um, They're producing like a solid level on a consistent week-to-week basis, tournament by tournament, where they're always getting at least a few wins and you're seeing them pretty regularly in quarterfinals or semifinals. And that's just what we have not seen from Dennis over the past couple of years. It's very, very hot and cold. You'll get a big-time run to the semis somewhere and then you'll get three straight 
opening round losses. Like that's something that's so important for him to clean up. Maybe he, you know, he might always be this streaky player and that's kind of what you have to accept. Uh, and so uh, if you accept that's what Denis Shapovalov is, maybe you sort of just temper expectations that enjoy the highs when they come. But I hope he can kind of rebuild and reset and, and be healthy for the start of 2024 and, and get his ranking back up. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm looking at his career right now as in like maybe he just needed a, a reset time. Maybe the injury was was there, but then it was also maybe a mental thing. He 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 might he might do well in focusing a bit in family now. He uh, got engaged this yep. year as well. So mm-hmm. we know that historically a lot of players come out um, better out of that because they, they can um, just put some perspective in their lives and then tennis becomes like a little bit less of a burden to carry for them. And uh, I, I don't know, maybe maybe this could be a part of what Dennis needs in, in his career. Maybe just a, a little bit uh, of focus outside and just uh, relax a bit on court just to be, you know, just get those shoulders uh, more relaxed and more loose and just can like let it rip on the on the backhand and the forehand like so I think it could be it could be it for him but, but yeah like I think it's a it's a lot of a wait and see on 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 that on that um, is he coming out healthy I hope he does I really hope he does come back uh, and and play some amazing tennis uh, I'm not sure if he's he's in the road to qualify to Australia I think he would need to go to qualifying right now <laughs> but yeah uh yeah yeah I have to see on that um which would be that would be difficult. I mean, I hope that's that's not the case. Um, it would be direct entry is definitely what you want because that would be a big setback if he does have to go through qualifying. I I think he might still be in direct entry, but uh, I'd have to double check on that. Yeah, we'll see. Well, I guess uh, that would cover it all. Thank you so much for for being around. Uh, ben, uh, yeah, do you have any any final remarks to say about self uh, Canadians <laughs> new projects coming up? Yeah, sure. I, I mean, thanks firstly so much for, for having me. Uh, I will say beyond, uh, if you want to tune into our podcast, Matchpoint Canada, you can find us, you know, on all socials at Matchpoint Can on Twitter or X, I suppose we call it now. Um, and also I, I recently launched a uh, sub stack. Um, so, you know, just kind of keep up with my tennis writing there. If you go to my social page at Ben Lewis MPC. Um, find my Substack and feel free to subscribe. Just a way to keep up with uh, my tennis writing. I, I generally launch a news a new newsletter every every couple weeks just to sort of share my thoughts on what's happening tennis wise in the season. So uh, yeah, thanks All so right. much for having me, Andre. Well, yeah, thanks so much for for talking. Uh, and yeah. it was a great discussion as well. Uh, I'll leave all the links in the description for for Ben's socials and Ben's Substack, so you can follow in there uh, in the on YouTube or um, on Spotify wherever the links are going to be available. And uh, you can also follow us at Tennis and Bagels. I'm at Rollingberg Andre. And uh, yeah, I'll see you guys around. Thanks so much for for being here again, Ben. And uh, yeah, bye all. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.